Welcome to BIB Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. A new poll today for Glacier Media conducted by Research Co. points to a dramatic shift in public opinion during the first two weeks of the election campaign. Where the Liberals entered the campaign with a substantial lead, it has disappeared. We're going to look at the findings now with Research Co-President Mario Canseco. Good to see you. Good to be here. Let's uh, look at the top line findings. Uh, it's, I know I know people don't like to get into horse racing, but let's talk about the horse race right now. Well, uh, it's essentially a tie. Uh, we had the Liberals ahead by eight points and basically cruising to victory back in June at the start of the campaign when we conducted the survey in BC. They were in first place. And now we see a situation where they dropped in third place in BC, a tie between the Conservatives and the NDP here, but also a tie uh, at the national level, uh, partly because of the great influence that the Conservatives have had in getting more voters to look at them seriously in the province of Ontario. Uh, the numbers are not very different from the result of the last election, but the regional breakdowns tell a very different story. The level of support is not as high as it was for the Conservatives in Alberta or in Manitoba and Saskatchewan, and it's higher in Ontario. So you could have roughly the same number of votes when it comes to the voting numbers at the national level, but if Ontario is as close as it is right now, that would be many, many more seats going to the Conservatives. Uh, so does it translate into a conservative government yet? At this stage, there's a big possibility that that would be the case. Uh, we started this campaign thinking it was going to be like 1974, Trudeau getting his majority government. Right now, it looks more like 1979. Uh, they could get a few more votes, but if they don't get them in the places where they need them, Erin uh, O'Toole would get the first shot at forming government and could rely on the support of other parties to try to stay there for the next few months. Um, this is definitely different from the situation that we envisioned at the start of the campaign because they were connecting very well in BC. They still hold the lead in Quebec where we really haven't seen the Bloc Québécois climbing the charts. Uh, but the fact that we have a close race in Ontario certainly places them in a very different position. Now they're defending territory in the largest province, not expanding it as was their hope just a few weeks, uh, weeks ago. So why the Liberal collapse? Well, there's two reasons for it. Uh, the foreign affairs file uh, is usually great when everything is looking fancy, when you have the situation in, under control, when you're taking pictures with other dignitaries. The fact that we've been talking about Afghanistan for the past week and a half doesn't bode well for the Trudeau Liberals. It makes it very easy for the NDP, for the Bloc, for the Conservatives to say we would have done things differently. And foreign affairs is usually one of the things where you do very well when you're the incumbent. Uh, right now, it hasn't been the case with Justin Trudeau. And they haven't really been able to connect on, on their COVID-19 pandemic management. Um, it was certainly easier for the BC government and the Saskatchewan government last year to establish that emotional connection. Right now, we're at a scenario where the vaccines are here. Everybody who wanted to get their two shots got their two shots. And we're starting to forget about that. And it's really the onus on the Liberal Party to try to talk about this again if they want to see those numbers climbing. You can hear the Liberals talk about that and how uh, different uh, an Aaron O'Toole government might have handled the pandemic and will handle the pandemic. Is that kind of the crucial wedge issue that the Liberals must excel at here if they're going to get themselves to government again? 
Well, the, if this were a Quentin Tarantino movie, this is the moment when the Harvey Keitel character arrives and tells people what they need to be doing. Uh, it's definitely not going as well as it was at the first uh, few days of the campaign. The key here is to try to connect on that file. Uh, the idea of the vision of the country that Erin O'Toole has is already on their own platform. And I think uh, the media spend a lot of time debating over the cover, but the opportunity to criticize what is there and certain things that you want to do continues to be accessible for the liberals. Uh, what vision of the country are they offering uh, if they vote for the conservatives? What, what kind of situation could you have? And is this the point where the pandemic becomes more about the economic recovery that comes afterwards? Uh, it, it's reminiscent in a way of the 1945 election in the United Kingdom. Uh, thank you, Mr. Churchill, for winning the war, but we're gonna go with Clement Attlee on the economic recovery. Mm. When you take a look though at, uh, at, at the fact that uh, you know, the, this government is now basically telling uh, the public service that it uh, needs to you know, have a vaccine mandate of some sort, otherwise it's not gonna be welcome back, there'll be consequences, those kinds of things. Um, does that somehow explain what is going on out there when Justin Trudeau is showing up and meeting a lot of angry people? Well, there's anger. And it's definitely something that we have seen before. You know, these aren't uh, particularly different times from the type of demonstrations that Jan Gretchen used to face in some parts of the, of the country or Brian Mulroney for that matter. Uh, what makes it a little more unpalatable is the type of language that is used, the fact that we have the opportunity to document this in a way that wasn't possible in the 1980s or 1990s. Now, the reality here is a lot of this animosity would be directed at any of the leaders who were in power. You're upset because you're losing money, because you can't open your business, because the vaccine passport is going to make it more complicated for you to do things. It's not something that is necessarily going to be uh, developing into votes for the Conservatives or the NDP. So it's an opportunity for a lot of people to vent, uh, but focusing on those protests uh, is going to take away from the fact that all of those people are going to vote for somebody. It won't necessarily be the People's Party of Canada, even though they're doing a little bit better now than they were two months ago. Uh, but it certainly doesn't suggest that the anger is going to be so much that we could be looking at a situation similar to the one we saw in the United States with Donald Trump. The two uh, main opposition parties to Justin Trudeau were very quick to disavow um, the, uh, the the protests uh, to basically say that they have no place on a campaign trail. Um, could the conservatives, though, be hurt by these protesters? I think they can. You know, part of it is going to be how do you establish an emotional connection with voters that is based on the way you were treated. Uh, there are some similarities, even though uh, it's a little bit different than what happened in 1993 when the progressive conservatives decided to do the ads targeting John Cretien's physical appearance. Uh, right. People might look at Justin Trudeau and say, well, you know, he really doesn't deserve to be facing this type of situation. All the nastiness of the memes, all the screams and the things that we're seeing on television. Uh, people who work in the media know this because they have covered some of these uh, situations and, and they know and they have been targeted as well. So it could actually backfire. It could actually get a lot of people to say this is a very tough job. And, you know, you know, truth be told, the situation has been a little bit better than in other countries. So it could very well backfire when you have that level of nastiness. 
those are people who may not even show up and vote. They just want to go out there and say what they have to say. But it could end up making something more complicated for the opposition if people look at Justin Trudeau differently because he's being targeted in such a nasty fashion. My recollection, though, of 1993 is that it, w it went well beyond uh, the, the depiction of Jean Chrétien in that way that that, that that was like the last gasp of the conservatives at that point. And there were many prior gasps that had to do with vilifying uh, what the liberals would do to the country. Um, does Justin Trudeau have to be careful there, too, in that he's portraying the conservatives as having a hidden agenda uh, that they, you know, that they wouldn't be good for health care, they wouldn't be good for social programming, that they would, you know, they would uh, kill off the, the child care program, all of those types of things that are essentially playing on fear. Well, that's the other problem. You would wind up in a situation where he's perceived as exceedingly hypocritical. You know, we've had a couple of days of press conferences about we're all brothers here. Everything is working out fine. We should not be like this. And, you know, I condemn the actions of these people. Uh, if you're going to be the one to extend that olive branch, you have to be sure that if you're going to be talking about policies, you stay with policies. It can't just be a situation where you go into the type of campaign in a way that Paul Martin ran the second time. You know, Stephen Harper is going to put soldiers on the streets. That ended up throwing people off, and it definitely didn't help their case to try to remain in government. So it's more about the vision of the country at this stage, and it has to go beyond certain things that aren't going to move voters. Uh, it's not going to be a situation where the NDP vote or the Green vote, whatever remains of it, because it's not a lot, um, goes to the Liberals. You need to make sure that liberal voters in the past who are looking at the conservatives now and saying, well, Erin O'Toole is not that bad. You need to make sure that they come back into the fold. And the way you do that is to talk about the vision of the country. You're not going to outwin the conservatives by talking about climate change. You know, those voters are already with you. Yeah. I've wondered, though, can you in an age like the one we have now, where you're quite right, uh, Canadians can take a look at the graphic gory details of a uh, of a protest in the way that they didn't uh, 30 years ago. The media would often censor or suppress some of those just because they were you know, not in, in good taste. Can, can you though earn your way back to Canadians and to a lead by being statesmanlike or, or frankly, do you have to play on that fair? Well, I think there are ways to do it. You know, one of my favorite memories of the 2012 campaign in the United States was the first debate uh, where Barack Obama essentially phoned it in. And Mitt Romney was seen as very presidential, talking about the issues, having a good grasp of the economy. And the polls that we conducted a couple of weeks later showed Obama trailing, which was in in incredible for a lot of people because they never expected Romney to do so well. Um, it's an opportunity to rejig and to do things differently when you're heading into the second debate. Of course, here, the two debates happen essentially back to back. Um, I think there's an opportunity to show people that you are the one who knows how to take care of things. You know, there might be a moment to do a couple of jabs and to talk about O'Toole's lack of foreign policy experience. But at this stage, what he's talking about when he talks about Afghanistan, especially because he's a former soldier, is definitely yeah. being bought by Canadians. So it has to be a little bit more about what type of country you would bring us if we give you a majority instead of what kind of country Erin O'Toole would turn Canada into if he were to win. So we're about a week away from these two debates. And 
at times, these debates can be when uh, voters are tuning in to an election campaign. My sense is that they are actually tuned in now uh, after a couple of weeks because of the emotional nature uh, that we've sort of we've seen and because of the swing in in, uh, in this public opinion support. But how important for Justin Trudeau and for his political future are these next two debates? It's crucial. Uh, more than anything else, you know, if you go back to 2015, uh, he arrives into, the, into those debates uh, essentially in third place, trying to establish that emotional connection and being the candidate of hope instead of the candidate of anger, which was Tom Mulcair at the time, and Stephen Harper essentially defending everything that he was doing. Now he's the one who's on the defensive, but he has the opportunity to talk about specifics. He has the opportunity to discuss certain changes that could happen, and there's always the opportunity for contrition. You know, I don't think we'll see Justin Trudeau essentially apologize because he called this a election, but he needs to do a better job outlining what this is necessary and what is going to make his government different from the others. Uh, if he winds up in a scenario where the debates become a question of uh, how the country will be destroyed, if you vote for the NDP and if the conservatives are the ones who form the government, then desperation would set in and Canadians don't like desperation. And it's definitely one of the things that they need to watch out for. How can they sell the vision of the country that they have without sounding like they're essentially desperate to cling on to power. Canadians don't like desperation, but it, it looks as if in this case here, Mario, that Canadians also don't like opportunism, where perhaps in the case of British Columbia, when the election was called, there was an appreciation of the fact that uh, the BC Liberals were not necessarily uh, the best organized uh, group, and therefore uh, John Horgan was going to have his way in order to, to Keep, this, keep the power and move into a majority government. In this case here, Canadians are very well aware of the fact that there's at least two years left on this mandate. Um, you, have, um, you have Jagmeet Singh basically saying it's an unnecessary election uh, and Justin Trudeau claiming that somehow he needs it, yet isn't really suggesting why it's needed or at least not, nothing that's persuaded Canadians to this point. Is that ultimately, do you think, still just going to, hang over this election right down to the polling booths where people are going to say this was just never really a valid idea for going to the public? The reason we're still talking about this now and the debate in British Columbia in 2020 lasted a couple of days is Erin O'Toole. I think people are looking at Erin O'Toole very differently than they did here in British Columbia when they were looking at Andrew Wilkinson. Uh, there's a sense that this is a person who could be prepared to do this, who is backed by a party that is more united than it was before. And with a sense of imagining actually a government where this is actually going to be working. And when we ask people about who they would want to have as their next prime minister, um, we asked the junior you know, to a distant third place. Now he's second, just a few points behind for Andrew Scheer before the 2019 election. So I think that's the biggest difference here. If people were as afraid of an Andrew Wilkinson government as they were in BC, we wouldn't be talking about having this election. It's more about, okay, let's stay with the government that we have because we don't trust the opposition. That is the miscalculation of calling this election. They assumed that Erin O'Toole was not going to climb the charts, and he has. Yeah. Um, last area, and uh, we haven't talked about Jagmeet Singh in this, but obviously, um, he's positioned himself now as somebody with a, a valid purpose 
and uh, with the capacity to um, cost the liberals the majority and move into a minority or another kind of position entirely. Crucial about this, especially if, you, if we look at British Columbia, uh, the numbers for the NDP are significantly better than they were in the last couple of elections. And that's important because of the urban areas that they're targeting. We started this campaign with the notion of, are the liberals going to regain some of the seats that they had in the Fraser Valley back in 2015? Now it's the NDP that is knocking on those doors and saying, we're as good as Horgan, you know, help us out. If, if this is an area that is changing, uh, keep us in mind and, and give us your vote. Uh, but it's essentially a rural, sorry, it's essentially a BC party that isn't really connecting very well in the rural areas. Uh, their numbers in Ontario are not where they used to be with Jack Layton, and the vote in Quebec is pretty tiny. There's only 10% of people in Quebec who are looking at the NDP as an option. So you could wind up in a situation where the NDP becomes a more localized party uh, than even the bloc. And that is definitely going to be important for whatever happens in this province. It's going to be more about what does the NDP want from O'Toole if he gets the first crack at forming the government or what kind of deal is struck with Trudeau. But in any case, they are the ones who are going to be saying, we believe that this is what British Columbia wants, especially if they get more seats and more votes. Well, we thought at the beginning it was going to be a dull campaign. Not, not anymore. Always good to see you, Mario. Thanks a lot for your time today. My pleasure, Kirk. Anytime. Mario Canseco is president of Research Co., public opinion uh, firm here in uh, British Columbia. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor in chief of Business and Media. Thanks a lot for watching.